This is On Point, a podcast about bringing humanity to leadership communications. I'm your host, Andrea Lekashoff, President of Broadreach Communications. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Greg Wells. As an athlete, scientist, performance physiologist, Dr. Wells has spent more than 20 years studying how sleep habits, nutrition, human movement, and mindset affect performance. It's his life work, his passion, and self-admittedly, his obsession. He is the CEO and founder of the Wells Performance Group, a global consulting firm committed to achieving the moonshot of helping teams, schools, and businesses become places where people get healthy, perform optimally, and ultimately reach their full potential. He is also the author of four best-selling books, Superbodies, The Ripple Effect, The Focus Effect, Rest, Refocus, Recharge. And for over 25 years, Dr. Wells has spoken to audiences around the world and worked with some of the highest performing individuals on the planet, including Olympic and world champions. A veteran endurance athlete, Dr. Wells has participated in Ironman Canada, the grueling Nanisivik Midnight Sun Marathon, 600 miles north of the Arctic Circle, and the Tour d'Afrique, an 11,000 kilometer cycling race that is the longest in the world. Dr. Wells has a PhD in physiology, served as an associate professor of kinesiology at the University of Toronto, and is an exercise medicine researcher at the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto. Dr. Greg Wells, welcome to On Point. Thanks so much. So good to be here. Greg, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on our podcast as I have been a big fan for a very, very long time. I've read two of your books, The Focus Effect and The Ripple Effect. They're right here uh, on my desk and they've had such an incredibly positive impact on my life. I was um, actually so taken by them that I invited you to speak at a client gala, you'll remember, a few years ago. And uh, one thing that you may not know, Greg, is to this day, your keynote remains the most memorable one they've ever had. And they've been doing this for well, well, well over a decade. Wow. Um, and that's what I want to accomplish here today. No, no small feat. I, I really want our listeners to walk away with a range of, uh, of the micro changes that you shared with that audience that they can implement to produce massive results um, and help them improve their health help them perform optimally, and help them reach their full potential, pretty much everything that you have devoted your, your life to. Uh, and uh, with that, Greg, I'd love to start at the very beginning of your story. Um, you became interested in this field at a very young age. What happened to you that ultimately inspired you to learn about the human body and its, its limits and uh, potential? Uh, it's interesting. You know, you, you only get this sort of context as you get older for how, you know, life has gone. And when you're in the thick of it, you don't really see, you don't see it. You don't see the forest or the trees. And uh, when I was growing up, I was a competitive swimmer, really wanted to make the Olympic team, was in a swim club where people did make the Olympic team. So that wasn't an unreasonable sort of expectation. Mm -hmm. Got pretty good, pretty young um, and was down at a training camp when I was 15 years old in Florida. I uh, was on the national youth team at the time, but training with my club team. And uh, just we went at, you know, my buddies and I went out to play in the waves before hmm. a swim meet in the afternoon. And a big wave picked me up, dropped me on my head. 
and uh, oh, my two of my buddies sort of dislocated their shoulders, and I happened to hit wow. my head the wrong way, and I broke my neck. So that started the, uh, you know, my awareness of uh, my my body a lot more sure. than I probably was before. Three months in a halo vest, wow. uh, you know, neurosurgery after that, uh, three to four months of rehab, and then back in the water swimming. I think probably I was fourteen months ish. Incredible, uh, and then. Uh, actually made it, managed to qualify for Olympic trials. And so that happened in 87 in March. And then I think I was able to swim Olympic trials the following May in 1988. So I was able to recover and then went on to study. Uh, I swam in university at University of Calgary, studied kinesiology almost by accident, but that hmm. kept the learning going in a field of how the human body works. And at that point I was, you know, hook, line and sinker. I did a master's in hmm exercise phys and then a PhD in respiratory physiology and a postdoc in respiratory medicine at sick kids and then another postdoc in biomedical engineering after that. So, uh, Toronto general. So it's been a long journey, but it all started sort of back as an athlete who got injured and then managed to recover from that. Incredible. And one of the ways you describe yourself is a performance physiologist, which I don't believe from what I've seen is a common term. And I'd love for you to explain that to us. Yeah, I still struggle with how to describe myself and what I do, to be honest. Like every day I'm like, what is it that I do? Am I an author? Am I a podcaster? Am I a researcher? I don't know. Anyway, so I think that the term for a while that I was using was an extreme human physiologist because I was doing research at Sick Kids Hospital and exercise medicine. How do we use exercise to prevent, diagnose, and treat chronic illnesses in children, largely mm -hmm. in leukemia, cystic fibrosis, some heart conditions, lupus mm -hmm. in a couple of cases. Uh and so that was one aspect of what I did. And then at the other extreme, uh, I was working with Olympic athletes at the Canadian Sport Institute yeah. uh, as a you know, physiology lead and director of sports science there for all, almost 10 years, actually. And so I worked at the extremes. I worked with children who were really struggling, and I worked with Olympic-level athletes. But there was lots mm -hmm. of synergies because we've all got a body. And sure. funny enough, what the kids who are you know, going through chemotherapy hmm. go through physiologically at the cellular level is not too different from what a, a world-class athlete goes through in the middle of a brutal training set, right? So there's oh. some parallels there that emerge. Okay. But then out of that came an interest in consulting and speaking and writing mm -hmm. books for everybody so that I could expand my impact mm -hmm. that I was having in the world. And, you know, most people aren't extreme. And so <laughs> uh, when you settle into what can help everybody, learning from the extremes to inform daily practice for as many people as possible uh, that's where I ended up at performance. And uh, I've always been involved in high performance sport as an athlete, as a coach, as a physiologist, I've been involved in high performance business with executives and coaching, you know, elite CEOs. Uh, and I've been on expeditions, uh, you know, riding my bike across Africa or mm -hmm. climbing mountains in South America or swimming with sharks in Love the it. Indian ocean or whatever it happens to be. So the performance aspect always fascinated me. And I got a little bit for a while, I tried to just be wellness, you know, appeal mm -hmm. to everybody, and that didn't really work. And then I was like, no, actually, I'm a performance physiologist. I help world-class performers do even better. And uh, and that's where I've I've landed. And that's how I kind of now describe what I do. And it's still evolving. In three years, it'll probably be something completely different. But um, <laughs> as of right now, that's what I think I do most of the time. And I love how the the body of your work really makes it relatable to people like me. I'm not an elite athlete. And I also love how you've connected this to, um, you know, what you've called, you know, the four major interconnected epidemics that we're all, we're experiencing in the world, the sleeplessness and 
obesity, inactivity, and, and mental illness. Can you tell us a little bit more about these four epidemics? Sure. I mean, before we got distracted by the latest pandemic, there were yes. a few epidemics that sure. were faced, uh, I believe, facing many people on the planet. Uh, the first one is obesity. We know that overweight and obesity is a huge challenge for so many people. That's only gotten worse during this pandemic mm. as we've been confined yes. from home. And yes. uh, many of us have you know, gained the COVID-15 mm-hmm. in COVID-19-15. Anyway, so... Um, and we've also learned all, that that obesity is a a risk factor, an independent risk factor for severity of symptoms in COVID nineteen as well. So it remains a major issue. We also have sleeplessness, which affected affects about twenty five percent of the population. Twenty five percent of our population has difficulty sleeping on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. We know that physical inactivity is a huge challenge. Eighty five percent of the population doesn't get enough physical activity wow. to prevent a chronic disease. That's not wow. even to be healthy. That's just not to get sick. Uh, and we know that lack of exercise is a sort of a precursor for cardiovascular disease, cancer, type two diabetes, metabolic syndrome, and depression. So that's definitely something to, for us to consider. And the final one is mental health. And before the pandemic arrived, the major challenge that we were talking about with regards to mental health was that one in five people were accessing the medical system because of a mental health related challenge, primarily around depression, Right. And now at this stage of the pandemic, the numbers are higher. Wow. We, we believe that the number of people struggling with mental health has actually increased, according to a couple of psychologists I've had on my podcast. But the shift has gone uh, not so much away from depression, but we've added a layer of people who are experiencing pretty severe, debilitating anxiety. And so, mm-hmm. again, I'm a physiologist, not a psychologist, not my field to talk about that. Um, but I'm just you know getting some context from the people that I've had on my podcast and the people that I work with. So... Those are the four areas, uh, which I actually am hopeful about, though, because I think that if you look at the opposite of each of those four epidemics, you end up with the solution. When it comes to sleeplessness, we're looking at sleeping soundly. When it comes to overweight and obesity, we're talking about eating smarter. When we talk about physical inactivity, it's just simply move more. And when it comes to mental health, there's many things we can do around thinking clearly. So I'm super hopeful, despite Mm -hmm. everything. And even in this pandemic, I'm super hopeful because we've just seen how humanity has adapted to the challenge and how we're overcoming it, how quickly we've been able to arrive at a vaccine and how dedicated many humans were to Hmm. doing what was necessary to stay safe until that vaccine arrived. Obviously, there's issues around the implementation of that vaccine, but um, largely, I'm extraordinarily hopeful. And I I do believe in, in the good in humanity and what humans are capable of. So I hope we can overcome all five of those significant challenges. That's amazing. And you, you've in essence summarized the ripple effect, which I love. And I have highlighted and dog-eared and, you know, really the premise is when we sleep more soundly, we eat better. And when we eat better, we move more. And when we move more and we do all three of those things, we think more clearly. Um, Do you want to just talk a little bit about each of those aspects. And, and before you do, I, I really want to read this um, passage from uh, Sleeping Soundly. And it's, uh, I love this. Imagine if someone could create a drug that could dramatically lower the risk of cancer, heart disease, and type 2 diabetes. What if this same drug helped us to control our weight and heal our muscles and make our bones and joints stronger? What if that same drug could help prevent Alzheimer's disease, fight off depression, aging, and memory loss? That drug already exists. It's called sleep. How powerful is that? Isn't that cool? It's so and cool. You know, 
And the other wild thing about that is that it's also, you could say the exact same thing about exercise. You could say the exact same thing about nutrition. To some extent, you could probably say the same thing about meditation. Hmm. And so when we put those factors together, they're not independent. They actually amplify each other. And Hmm. so when you get a great night's sleep, it's a lot easier to make good decisions around food. Mm -hmm. If you're exhausted, you're eating all the scones or cookies or whatever it happens to be just to get enough energy to get through the day. Uh, when you do make good decisions around food, you have fewer cravings, your mental Mm -hmm. clarity improves, you've got better energy levels, your body becomes less inflamed. You have fewer aches and pains. You are able to concentrate better. Your mental health improves. There's a whole new field that's emerging called nutritional psychiatry, which is exploring the effect Mm -hmm. of food on the brain and food on mental health, which is pretty cool. Yep. And then, of course, when we exercise, we know that when you get a great workout in or you just simply go for a walk or whatever, you're going to sleep well that night or better Mm. anyway. Uh, And the more that you train, the more that you realize the effect of food on your body. And so it becomes easier for you to see those effects and therefore to make better decisions around the foods that you're eating. And then, of course, the final piece of the puzzle is when you sleep well, you get better nutrition on board when you get a little bit of physical activity into your day, your mental health will improve as well. Of course, when your mental health improves, then you feel it's, it's easier to get up and go for a workout. It's easier to make good decisions around food. So this is an interconnected pathway. Uh, and it, it doesn't need to be complicated and it doesn't need to be overwhelming either. It doesn't matter where you start. It doesn't matter which of those pillars you begin with. It doesn't matter how much you do. We know that as little as three minutes of meditation a day is enough to rewire the white matter tracts inside the brain, hmm. which is sort of like the, the, the subway system or the, the connectedness between the different regions of, of the brain. We know that as little as 1% of your day spent exercising, which is 15 minutes hmm. at a very light intensity of walking is enough to reduce your risk for pro- approximately 20 different types of cancer, anywhere from 20 to 40 Four wow. percent. Uh, we know that you know ninety minutes of exercise a day is enough to reverse cardiovascular disease. So when we sleep a little bit better, when we eat a little bit better, when we move a little bit more, when we, when we practice a little bit of meditation and mindfulness, the impacts on us are so significant. But it doesn't need to be huge. We don't need to be doing a lot of stuff. That's why I love the idea of the one percent gains because ultimately. What we're trying to do is just make this super easy and accessible for everybody. And when you have, when you're 1% better consistently over time, it's like compound interest for your brain and your body. Just like if you do 20 bucks a month into your savings account consistently Mm -hmm. over time with a little bit of interest, it's going to exponentially grow. You won't notice the changes initially. You'll kind of start to see them a little bit down the road. And then at some point you're going to be like, wow, this is crazy how fast I'm improving. And so we just need to be patient. We need to be consistent. We need to not get caught up in whatever the latest fad is around health and well-being. And there's so many of them. And a lot of people suggesting that there's shortcuts or biohacks. And there are no biohacks. There's no shortcuts Mm. with any of this. It's just being relentlessly consistent. And that's the answer. That's the game that we try to play. And it's not easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. But, you know, all we want to do is just be a teeny bit better every single day. And I love the concept of micro changes, those 1% changes that have an incredible impact on your life and that really help you perform. And the ripple effect is full of those 1% changes. Can you give us some examples so people can really understand what you're talking about um, from either four of those pillars or or one from all four of them? Yeah, it's crazy. You know, it's funny. 
10 years ago, if you told me that I was going to be an author, I would have laughed hysterically. Um, <laughs> and now I've written four books. Uh, all of them are bestsellers, which is, again, just completely mind-blowing. But in all four of them, I've got 1% tips, and they are the most popular elements of the book. It's what books, it's what everyone quotes, it's what everyone talks about. Yeah. So I could have just skipped you know, all of the research and just put a whole bunch <laughs> just... of 1% tips together in a coffee table book with some photos, and then probably would have been a lot. It's a great anyway. idea. You can still do that. Yeah, I might do that eventually. That might be the next book, the 1% gain, not 1% wins or something like that. Anyway, so just very, very simple things like um, if you defend your last hour, just simply don't look at your screens for one hour before you go to sleep at night. It completely changes your melatonin production in your brain enabling you to fall asleep quickly and deeply or do, you know, if not that, then turn on night shift mode on your devices. Uh, make sure that you have airplane mode enabled. So you're not checking your email right mm. before you go to sleep. Make sure that you consider uh, maybe even, you know, blue blocking glasses. My daughter mm. stole my blue, blue light blocking <laughs> glasses. So I need to get another pair um, from Dave Asprey. I got some, they're called true dark. They're pretty cool. Uh, and they, they work really well. So there's just the a few ideas. The red lenses. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I've got so, a pair of those. Uh, they're pretty awesome later in the day just to help you to fall asleep quick more quickly. And another little tactic around just 1% wins is uh, if you want to work out in the morning, just make it incredibly easy and you want to control your environment as much as you possibly can. So let's say for example, you're like, I want to go for a walk before work. Perfect. But right next to your bed. So when you step up out of bed in the morning, you've got your running shoes, your socks, your running shorts, and your t-shirt, awesome. your AirPods, you like every single thing that you need to get out of the door. So you're not looking for anything. You're not, it does wow. take zero extra energy and you just want to make success inevitable. Similarly, if you follow along the same idea of making success inevitable, when it comes to food, you want to have no junk food in your house. Cause if it's in your house, according mm. to the law of Dr. John Berardi's, uh, you know, the law, I forget what the what he calls it, but the law is basically that if it's in your house, you or mm. someone that you love will eventually eat it, probably when you're stressed. So that's why we want to be getting rid of the chips, the ice cream, the cookies, the mm. snow, like all that sort of stuff cannot be in your house. If you want to take your family for a walk to the local ice cream shop, go get some ice cream every once in a while. Absolutely no stress. But if it's in your home, you're probably going to eat all of it, you know, when it's going to have its worst possible impact on you. So make it easy to eat healthy at home and at work. Make it easy to do your workouts at home and at work. Just ordered a bunch of kettlebells. I've got the kettlebells all in the backyard. I've got a yoga mat in my office because my office is at home right now. But I've also got a yoga mat downstairs in the living room. So it's just easy awesome. to roll it out. Like I don't even have to walk upstairs to put the yoga mat out on the floor if I'm going to watch a show. So great. Like easy, easy, easy. Just make it so simple for you to do all of these things. Control your environment. Control your success. Another simple one around mental health is to either put up great artwork in your home because we know that when we're mm. exposed to fractal patterns in our environment, which is photos of nature, beautiful pieces of art, or simply look True. out the window at the trees in the park, that changes your brain wave activity from beta brainwave mode, which is hustle, focus, huh. execute, stress, down into alpha mode, which is learning, mm. reflection, strategic thinking. And that is also powerful when it comes to improving our mental health. So looking outdoors, huh. you know, staring into nature, change the desktop on your computer to a nature slash water scene, put some beautiful artwork or photos up on the wall. And you can, again, control your environment to make success inevitable. So, you know, there's just a few ideas for you, throwing some things out there, seeing what, what sticks. One of them might work, all of them might work, but uh, the more of those little 1% wins you can create to build an environment 
that enables it to be very easy for you to be healthy, well, and to reach your potential, I think can make a huge difference over the long haul. And Greg, those are all scientifically proven. Some people might think, oh my God, how is it going to change my day if I put you know, a photo of nature on my uh, laptop screen? But I remember several years ago reading a Harvard Business Review article on that, in that people that looked at nature it was even just for two minutes, really changed their brain waves and got into that reflective state like almost immediately. There's a whole bunch of research that's coming out now on forest bathing, which I yes, think is really fascinating. If you if you just look up at pubmed.com, that's the repository for all medical research online at the National Library of Medicine in the States. And uh, if you just look up forest bathing, yes. you're going to see so much research. A new one, that a new study that just came out um, and I don't typically go off of a single new study. So if mm-hmm. I'm quoting a new study, it's because it reinforces many other studies that have been done. So we know in general, the broad amount of research shows X. And the, what the broad research is showing is that exposure to nature uh, has a profound impact upon our immune system. Hmm. So we now know that when we're exposed to nature, when we're in and around trees, we inhale molecules called mm-hmm. phytoncides. When we inhale those molecules, it increases the activity level of our immune system and very specifically increases something called a natural killer cell, which are white blood cells that float through your blood and through your tissues, and they attack and destroy invaders like viruses, bacteria, um, fungus, and and they're they're incredibly powerful cells. And so we know when we're in nature, the amount of active natural killer cells that you have in your bloodstream increases, which is pretty cool. Uh, and of course, you know, um, fighting off viruses has become somewhat important for all of us these days. Right. So getting yourself out in nature, by the way, I'm, so like on that note, it's not like you can only go into nature and not get a vaccine, like get the vaccine. <laughs> also take some vitamin Understood. D, you, you know, like expose yourself to the sun and go for a walk. All of these things collectively add up and make a difference, um, to our ability to, uh, stay healthy in, in every aspect of our lives. So uh, anyway, that's just where I stand on that. And, uh, I think that forest bathing is a super cool strategy for people. And the other cool thing about forest bathing is you only need to do it once a week. These huh. effects appear to last for up to seven days, uh, which is quite cool. I mean, just like you know, once a week on the weekend, take your family to the park or you go to the park or you go for a mm-hmm. paddleboard or you go for a bike ride or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Just get up, get out into nature and enjoy yourself. And, uh, the benefits will be both mental and physical. I love that. And um, that's one of the reasons why I'm I'm really enjoying your weekly newsletters uh, that I signed up for uh, a while back. Today's topic is on brainwave states. Uh, What are some of the other topics that our our listeners can sort of go to sign up for and and expect if they sign up for your newsletter? Right. So yeah, if you just go to my website, drgregwells.com, and the first time you're there, you'll get prompted to uh, sign up for our newsletter, which is actually... You know, I've been sort of in this world for about 10 years now, and I've tried all sorts of different things. And the the one thing that seems to have absolutely exploded is the newsletter, especially because it goes out on LinkedIn and it's just gone. Um, yeah, it's just I, it's the first thing that we've really done on social that has really exploded. And I'm quite happy about it because it's it's in depth. We actually get to explore some of these issues. My podcast also is crushing it, but the, the newsletter is an absolute game changer. And what we try to do in the newsletter is to give people an article that's somewhere between 250 and 400 words that summarizes a key performance topic. So this week, we're just setting the stage for all of the newsletters that we have planned out for the fall. We've got about 25 of them lined up. They go out weekly, and they're going to, this fall, we're going to explore issues around focus, 
creativity, learning, mental health, all around a peak experience, the zone, flow states. Hmm. Uh, so that's our focus for the fall. Last year, we really focused on health, obviously, because, you know, pandemic. Yes. And so we were talking about nutrition and exercise and sleep. And uh, those were went, you know, just really, really, really well. We try to keep them super simple. We also link to a, a relevant podcast because we put out a podcast every week too. So mm -hmm. that goes out in the newsletter. Uh, and we've been pointing people a lot towards the app that we are uh, in active development of, and we've got, you know, almost a few thousand people now using our, our app Vivio, which allows you to track your sleep, track your exercise, track your nutrition, track your mindset to get individualized tips on a daily basis. So super excited about all of those different things. Awesome. And if you wanted to check out any of that, it's all at my, my website, drgregwells.com. Uh, but yeah, the newsletter has been an absolute game changer for us in terms of really building a community of people that are interested in high performance, which is super fun. And on the flip side, uh, in consuming it, 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 you really provide interesting topics that aren't, uh, they're mainstream, but they're, it's ma mainstream plus. Like you really get uh, some really interesting perspectives, all scientifically based and all super useful to performing at a high level. So I, I've really appreciated them. Um, you touched on focus and you touched on um, the ability. Um, here's my question. My kids over the summer, I have a 10 year old daughter and a 13 year old son, and you probably know where this is going, have been on devices um, since the start of the pandemic. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are with respect to kids in devices and, and what's healthy and what's not. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I have a loaded question. Yeah. Thanks for that. I have a six year old and an 11 year old and we drove across the country, uh, for almost three weeks this year, camping and mm -hmm. stuff. And so, uh, you know, when you're in a car for seven hours, your ability to parent is compromised because everyone's tempers get short and all those sorts of things. So, mm -hmm. yes, I, we, we relied on the iPad to get us through those. Yes long trips in a small SUV with a dog and lots of camping gear. So there was more screens than we would normally uh, use. And there's pluses and negatives to all of this. And I would encourage everybody to consider a couple things. First of all, we, it's very easy for us as parents to be like, yeah, my kids are on the screen all the time and you let them have access to the screens and they love being on the screens because they're designed so powerfully to be addictive mm -hmm. and to yeah. you know be just this incredible tool that you can use. And I think that in some cases, the tools are amazing. You can learn to code. You can FaceTime your friends. You can draw. You can uh, learn things on amazing documentaries. There's definite upside, but there's some yes. tremendous downsides as well. Digital addiction, increases yes. in anxiety levels, uh, you know, physical inactivity that comes along with yep. it. So there's some significant, not even to begin to dive into social media yep. and the effects of that that has upon us around anxiety, depression, those sorts of things as well. However, what I would encourage all the parents to think about is that it's not just your kids. It's probably you too. And where we're like, yeah, my kids are on screens all the time. Well, what are you doing? Like, mm -hmm. are you on email? Are you on YouTube? Yeah. Are you like, are you watching the television? Like we, we are all doing this. So leadership. Start uh, the top. It's 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 demonst it's as a family. What do you stand for? Yes. Are you mindlessly entertaining yourself using television, 
social media, your phone, whatever it happens to be, that's if you if you're about to get upset with your kids, I'd like encourage you to do check your screen time. Yes. First, there's a function for that on your phone by yes, the way. You can look is, up how there? much you can. It's terrifying yep. when you do that for the first time. And so you need to think about as a family, what are you going to stand for? Are you Hmm. going to mindlessly scroll through social or are you going to take your kids for a walk in the park? Right. And that's hard because maybe they don't want to. And I tell Mm -hmm. my kids love being physically active. They are Mm. into all sorts of outdoor sports as am I. And I'm, I have had so many battles with them over the last nine months, 10 months, 11 months, 12 months, um, where I'm like, okay, guys, let's go outside. They're like, nope not interested. And they're both lying there on the bed watching their, you know, movies or whatever it happens to be like, no, put the things down. We're going outside. I don't want to go fight, 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 get them outside. Still angry at me. 20 minutes later playing in the snow. We're there for three hours. So it's just fighting the momentum. It's fighting the addiction. It's fighting the ease. It's fighting the fatigue. It's all of those sorts of things to overcome, to get you outside into nature, to spend, Mm time being physically active that to me is the game and that's you know when we do go to the park one of the things I need to do as a parent is not bring my phone I've actually got an Apple watch now that I use that Hmm. if someone texts me I can see the text message but I'm not scrolling through social on my on my watch right Uh, the other minor thing I did was I brought a camera with me so I'm not you know I, I can capture the moments while we're out but not on my phone so I don't need to have my phone with me Uh, similarly, when I go to the gym, I bring the watch, I leave the phone at home. So I'm doing everything that I can to try to minimize my distractibility Hmm. to bring myself back into the present moment, which is not easy for me to do. I'm pretty, uh, activated most of the time mentally, and it's super hard for me to relax. It's super hard for me not to be working all the time. And I don't find it easy to be in the present moment, which is why meditation is so powerful, which is why all of these tactics are so powerful. But if I was to summarize all of this back to my kids have been on the screens too much. Yep. What am I going to do now? School's starting up. I'm tired in the evenings. The iPad's the perfect babysitter. I, sure. you know, I'm exhausted on the weekends. Maybe we can just watch a movie. What's, how do we cope with this? And I've just got a very simple idea that I learned from a gentleman named uh, Sadhguru in, in India, a very pragmatic sort of um, a gentleman. And one of the things he said, which I thought was super powerful was just, is it intention or compulsion? If you're intentionally using your technology, fabulous. That's all good. FaceTime your family. Watch a movie together as a family. Watch a documentary. Hmm. Read a book. Listen to the audiobook. Post something positive on social. Comment on your friends' vacations. Um, uh, you know, on so whatever it happens to be, intentionally is all good. The problem exists is if I'm downstairs playing with my kids and I feel hmm. an urge to go look at my phone. Right. Right. Or you're at dinner with your family and people are checking their phones or you're in the gym trying to do a workout and you're checking your email, Mm. right? That's what we've got to get away from. And for your kids, it's the same thing. They can't just sit there mindlessly addicted to their devices, scrolling through social or TikTok TikTok. or whatever it happens to be, not to be like, whatever for us, it's YouTube for them. It's TikTok or email or whatever, whatever it happens to be not to demonize TikTok. Um, It's just trying to develop that, that intention versus compulsion, I think is the, is the game. I love that. I will share that with my children. I love that. Um, so just a few final questions here. You you mentioned you, you're you still connecting with audiences around the world. I know that before COVID hit, you were traveling uh, nonstop and, and speaking with uh, companies and working with Olympians. Um, how has that shifted for you um, since COVID hit? 
Um, it's one of those high pitched laughs, right? (laughs) Like one of those, um, that, that squeaked out. So the year before COVID hit, I'd probably my best year ever speaking. I think I did 80 plus events all over the planet, 150,000 miles on air, Canada, India, the UK, South Africa, Poland, the States, Canada, like all over the world. Uh, which was amazing for mm. seeing the world terrible for my health and sure. not good for my family. Uh, although, I mean, like I have a great job. I love what I do and it's super awesome and it enables us to do unbelievably fabulous things. But mm. the reality was Adam was like four turning five at the time and I really wasn't spending much time with him because I was always Got away. It. That was a problem. So COVID hits, all of that goes away. And I have not been on an airplane in 16 months, which is the longest I've gone without being on an airplane since I was nine years old. Wow. So I've always flown, even I started swimming at 11. And so at that point I was flying twice a year and it just increased up to like, you know, basically that 2019, I was on a plane at least twice a week all the way through the year. So to have no travel has been absolutely lovely from a health perspective, from a family perspective. Uh, and from, you know, just being able to be fit and eat better and all those sorts of things. Mm. And it's also been really interesting that I think for the stuff that I do, teaching people about the nuances and the science of health, well-being and high performance, that teaching it online is actually been better or virtually, I should say, is actually Hmm. been better because it's like a one-on-one conversation. My face is right in front of you on the camera, on the screen. Yes. And I teach fairly technical information. So you can take the notes, you can ask the question in the chat box, you can, uh, you can see the slides, they're right in front of your face. So for what I do, it's, I actually think it's better. And the engagement that I have is higher, the number of people that connect with me afterwards is higher, the number of questions that I get is higher. So in many cases, I think it's been actually really good for me and what I do. So that's interesting. I do want, I mean, I miss the crowds. I miss the energy. I miss I'm speaking sure. to 2000 people and getting a point across and seeing a thousand people react. Like it's just the best public yeah. speaking. is So awesome for me. No, it's not for everybody, but for me, it's super cool. So I want to get back to that, but I'm going to be super selective about what events I do live and try to do the really high impact events live, mm. but then do the technical training in a virtual setting to even just prevent myself from having to drive downtown. It's not far. It's, it's six miles to downtown from where I'm, I'm at. It takes me 40 minutes max, even in traffic, mm-hmm. but tw- you know, in two directions, that's a couple hours. If you include yep. parking and all that sort of stuff, which I'd rather spend recovering, regenerating, writing, thinking, doing other things. So it's, it's really interesting how this has, you know, building my home studio has enabled me to speak all over the planet more often, uh, with greater impact. And so I, I am looking forward to very much a hybrid model moving forward, Mm. some in person, some virtual, which is how I think a lot of people are going to be functioning moving forwards as well. So, um, it's been ultimately, I think very good for me and my family. It's been exceptional for my business, frankly. Yeah. We've been able to do so much more for so many more clients all over the world. And, uh, you know, like we're, we have programs running right now in Canada, the United States, the UK, and Australia. That would not be possible if we were flying all over the place trying to do these things. But it makes 
we just get up a little bit earlier and sometimes we go to bed a little bit later. Like it's just, it's no problem. So it's super fascinating that all of that is now opened up and uh, we're able to do things so much differently with so much more impact. It's, it's kind of fun. Amazing. Amazing. Well, very, very well-deserved. Um, Greg, any final thoughts uh, before we uh, sort of thank you and say goodbye? Uh, you know what? The one thing I would say to all of your listeners is that I think we have a unique opportunity right now, uh, regardless of where you are in the world. This pandemic has stopped us from doing so many things. It's forced us to reevaluate how we live, what we do, and who we spend time with. And we have an opportunity now as the world opens up again to not necessarily just return to normal, but to reimagine the future. What are you going to do deliberately is a great sort of question to ask yourself. What do I, who do I want to be spending more time with? What type mm-hmm. of activities do I want to be doing more of? Yes. What things was I doing before that I don't want to go back to yes. again? Uh, and for us, for example, that's like racing around in the car, trying to get everyone to various different activities. Like right. We're going to be very selective about what we do, not just being busy, but being super, uh, put a lot of effort into a few things, not spread our energy out over a lot of things just to, you know, tick the boxes. Very intentional. Yeah. Just be super intentional moving forwards. And that applies to your health. That applies to your work. That applies to your life. That applies to your friends, your family, everything. Just be super intentional. And if we can do that now against a backdrop of a world that's reopening and a Mm. clean slate, slate. I actually believe that that's a unique opportunity we probably won't get again in our lives. So now is the time to put the effort into figuring that stuff out because it'll have an impact on all of us for, you know, probably decades after this is all over for better or for worse. Wonderful. Um, Greg, thank you for your time. Thank you for your expertise. And thank you for that final insight. I I think that I I see lots of people just quickly getting back to uh, similar lives to the, the, that they had before and and everyone's starting to book up and go out. And I think that applying intention uh, to how we lead our lives in these next few months will really set the tone for the coming decades, as you've said. So thank you. Uh, so much for your time and uh, it was so great to have this conversation yeah thanks so much for the opportunity i love connecting with various different audiences and i I love the work you're putting out into the world so it's a huge honor to be able to speak with you and to share some ideas with people that's awesome thank you this podcast was produced by broadreach communications i'm andrea lekashoff and thanks for listening for show notes and additional resources visit brpr.ca forward slash podcast